to the Our Wisconsin Revolution podcast. This is Anders, and I'm once again joined by Will. Will, how are you doing today? What up, everybody? Um, you know, we're we're hanging in there. We're hanging in there. The movement doesn't stop. I know it can feel uh, overwhelming at some time, uh, at some point in time, but, uh, you know, somebody's got to do this work, Anders. It might as well be us. Society's not going to fix itself. It's not going to improve with, if we're not willing to uh, stand up every single morning and say, hey, we demand better. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, on today's podcast, we will be inviting on a very special guest, uh, Super Rep Ryan Clancy, uh, kind of continuing on the discussion that we had this summer when we talked with him about the conditions of Wisconsin prisons. He has a very exciting package of bills that we're going to be discussing um, going through the state legislature on um, conditions of, of confinement. But before we get to that, I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about news that just broke this morning as we are recording this episode. Uh, former Secretary last of night. State. Bro- it broke last night. Last uh, night, last night. Like 6, 7 p.m. maybe. I was getting text messages about it, uh, and I was at the gym. And the running joke was uh, – actually, I'll let, I'll let you break the news first before I get yeah. to the running joke. <laughs> well, uh, former United States uh, Secretary of State National Security Advisor held a lot of roles. Uh, Henry Kissinger uh, passed away, a, t- a key advisor to both Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford that had a massive impact on America's imperial presence – uh in in foreign policy since world war ii um yeah that's that's big news not not really a friend of the left he is he's a war hawk uh has been very pro uh interference in in u.s foreign policy so i think yeah i think you might be underselling it a little bit anders um (laughs) The, the the Twitter joke has always been for years and years, you know, the there are catchphrases out there. Why uh, only the good die young and, and Henry Kissinger is proof positive that uh, that that is accurate type type statements. And, you know, every time that um, that a celebrity would pass, you would see that uh, Grim Reaper with the uh, claw machine game uh, meme. And it'd be like, is Henry Kissinger even in this thing? Because uh, Henry Kissinger has arguably more blood on his hands than any other uh, you know United States representative and and very few people on earth I think um realistically could uh lay claim to doing as much damage as Henry Kissinger did to the world uh you know keep in mind he helped prolong the Vietnam war he ex- uh, expanded that conflict into neutral Cambodia, facilitated genocide in Cambodia, East Timor, and Bangladesh, accelerated, accelerated civil wars in Southern Africa, supported coups and death squads throughout Latin America. According to The Intercept, and he had the blood of at least 3 million people on his hands, according to his biographer, Greg Grandin. Veteran war crimes prosecutor Reed Brody stated there were, quote, few people who have had a hand in as much death and destruction, as much human suffering in so many places around the world as Henry Kissinger. Uh, he is perhaps the most powerful national security advisor in American history. 
the chief architect of U.S. war policy in Southeast Asia, was responsible for more civilian deaths in Cambodia than previously known, according to an exclusive archive of U.S. military documents and interviews with Cambodian survivors and American witnesses that The Intercept recently mm-hmm. reported. This is an individual that and, – and, and he was incredibly famous as well um, during his time uh, as a representative of the United States, equally if not more so – than the presidents that he represented. Uh, obviously, you and I were not alive at that point. Um, but with his passing last night, I was having a conversation with uh, a lot of my friends who have been organizing for 20, 30, 40 years at this point. Mm. And they were noting that he was like a celebrity. He was so incredibly famous, fo- being followed around, asked his opinion on things in a way that you expect the president to be. But uh, in in this situation, he was almost more of the president than the U.S. the sitting yeah. U.S. president was. Um, so this this is an individual that has had an immensely negative influence on on the world uh, and and his legacy. I hate to say legacy because the positive connotations behind that word, um, but his actions will be remembered for for years and years and years to come. Well, the other one that I saw um, online last night a lot uh, was former or deceased chef uh, Anthony Bourdain has quite a strong take on Henry Kissinger, and I I always um, really enjoyed watching watching his shows um, about traveling around the world and eating. He said, "Once you've been to Cambodia, you'll never stop wanting to beat Henry Kissinger to death with your bare hands." You will never again be able to open a newspaper and read about that treacherous, murderous scumbag sitting down for a nice chat with Charlie Rose or attending some black tie affair for a new glossy magazine without choking. Witness what Henry did in Cambodia, the fruits of his genius for statesmanship, and you will never understand why he's not sitting in the dock at the Hague next to Milosevic. While Mm -hmm. Henry continues to nibble nori rolls at A-list parties, Cambodia, the neutral nation he secretly and illegally bombed, invaded, and undermined, and then threw to the dogs, is still trying to raise itself up on its one remaining leg. Mm-hmm. That's the type of impact we're talking about. There's been a lot of excellent quotes. Um, Mehdi Hassan, a couple years ago, when, quote-unquote, you know, celebrating Kissinger's birthday as the network was doing, uh, recalled, quote, some of the many, many people around the world who didn't get to live till 100 or even 60, 70 or 80 because of Henry Kissinger, because of his support for brutal dictators, brutal regimes, brutal wars and war crimes, unquote. I think that's um, obviously the Bourdain quote is incredibly famous because of how um, straight to the point and powerful it is. Uh, but the the message that I want to kind of point out is because uh, I've been seeing this discord as well. Oh, how gross it is to celebrate the peaceful passing of a hundred year old man at his own home. This hundred year old man at his own home prevented the peaceful, like, Oh great. It, it's so nice that he had the That's ability right. to do that. He is directly responsible for why millions of other human beings did not have that opportunity. Many of whom, you know, forget 60, 70 or 80. Many of these individuals didn't have the opportunity to peaceful peacefully pass at 10 20 30 because they were brutally massacred by the foreign policy that this man uh pushed so it's it's um you know this guy 
you could make the argument that he was on the Mount Rushmore of um, most, I don't want to say dangerous, but most damaged, uh, most caused damage on the planet. Uh, And it's, uh, it's something that will be discussed, you know, for the next multiple decades going forward. Absolutely. Well, with that, we're going to move on to the interview segment and we will be right back with super rep Ryan Clancy. So we say, we always say the Black Panther Party, that they can do anything they want to do us. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can know my said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. All right, and we're back with super rep Ryan Clancy. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm I'm fantastic. Uh, we had some uh, some good news last night with the death of Henry Kissinger. I don't uh, normally celebrate deaths, but I'll make an exception in his case. And uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to uh, moving some stuff forward. Well, uh, we we all always appreciate getting to have a discussion with you, and this kind of a little bit of a continuation of what we talked about uh, last time you were on. We were talking about. Um, the conditions of Wisconsin prisons and you and some other Wisconsin legislators have rolled out a conditions of confinement uh, bill package uh, that address a lot of these concerns. But I guess could, could before we get into some of the policy here, just to refresh people from our last conversation, you know, what have you seen as, as an elected representative who gets to walk through a lot of our, your, some of our, jails and prisons in Wisconsin, what are some of the things that you've noticed? What are some of the things that inmates have, have talked to you about as concerns? Um, you know, what kind of drove you to uh, discuss and, and kind of propose a lot of these different bills? Yeah, no, thanks. And, and that's, uh, it, it's been a long time coming, I, I think, a lot of these. And I think one of the, one of the things that I was most um, struck by was that as we started to uh you know put these ideas down on the paper and uh and actually show them to stakeholders and and advocates there was just an outpouring of gratitude that people are finally taking a lot of these things seriously and these are issues uh that have been going on in some cases for for many decades uh and have been you know largely ignored by by lawmakers uh and uh, it's it's taken us a while. I mean, we've been in office now for you know ten months or so, uh, but we wanted to be sure, especially with this package, that we got the details right. Because I've spent the last you know three and a half years uh, now at the at the county and in, in county institutions at first, and then at the state, um, going into uh, you know jails and, and prisons to the extent that we're allowed. And uh, I think some of that is actually addressed in this package too. Um, and I always ask the same question of people in our care. Uh, and I will say that sometimes when people do tours like this, they don't talk to people that are incarcerated there. Um, and that's that's an issue because I, I don't just want to hear what COs or what the Department of uh, Corrections or, or what the sheriff you know thinks about what's happening in there. I want to talk to the people that are incarcerated there while they're incarcerated so they can, they can actually show me things. Um, and I always ask uh, each person, other than not being in here yourself, what would you change about this institution and at the county level we saw i mean really basic things like i want food that is edible Uh, i want to be able to talk to my family uh one of the biggest sources of stress that i've heard from folks at the at the county level especially is um knowing that when their family members are choosing to you know call them or video call them 
especially in the jail where we've banned visitation for 22 years now. So the only options are paying, uh, you know, paying the institution that's making a ton of money off it uh, to do that. Um, but but the, when their families have to put money on their books for them to make, you know, a fo voice calls or, or video calls, that those are tough choices. And I think there's a ton of stress from people that are incarcerated. I, I had one gentleman, one of my first visits say, um, I don't talk to my family as much as I'd like to. I have to pretend that I'm busy and pretend that I can't do that because I know that when they're talking to me, they're choosing not to pay rent or buy medicine or put food on the table for my kids. And that is a, a horrific choice that we're saddling families with. And one of the reasons for that is that uh, at Milwaukee County, uh, we we charge uh, Milwaukee County families over five million dollars every year just to talk to their loved ones. Uh, and, and it's not that's not just the cost of the of communications. That is the county making money off of those. They, they take huge kickbacks, which the county hate, the county hates when I call it kickbacks. But that's what it is. We are taking a percentage of those calls. We're making uh you know communications companies uh, into millionaires uh but we are uh we are very shamefully uh having that be part of our budget and when we move to uh to make calls free and we were able to do that to some extent in this budget and it's taken three and a half years to do that uh there is a huge pushback from the the sheriff's department uh to to uh, to the greatest extent because uh they come out immediately and say no that's our money you can't touch that um, and they come up with these worst case scenarios of how, you know, things are going to get worse if they don't get uh, massive increases to their budget, which we also gave them in this last, uh, in the last, the last, last budget. The uh, sheriff's department received the largest increase to their budget ever in the history of the county uh, through the recommended budget. Then my colleagues at the board uh, doubled down on that and gave them even more. Uh, and it's a totally unaccountable department. Um, so there are, yeah, all of this legislation is based in going into institutions and talking to staff, but also to people that are incarcerated there and saying, you know, what can we do better? Uh, and a, a big part of that at the county level is access uh, at the the county jail, despite the fact that I'm, you know, the chair of judiciary and, and should have some oversight over it. They will not let me in to see a, a cell unless I contact them a month in advance and they're able to like whitewash it and sanitize it. And I don't want to see a clean cell, right? That's, that's not where the, <laughs> the complaints are coming from. They're not coming from the administrative departments. They will show me when I show up. Uh, they're, they're coming from uh, the really horrific conditions that we've had going on there for a long time. And those are things that we can fix with, uh, with policy. Um, and the, you know, the state level is different at the state level. We don't make money off of communications, but it's still, you know, largely unaffordable. Uh, at the county, we don't pay people that are in our care anything. It's literally zero dollars and zero cents. One of the pieces of legislation here would provide a sub-minimum wage uh, that's two thirty-three an hour. Uh, that's uh, the same, frankly, that what they, uh, so somebody in the service industry would get. Um, uh, at the state, you know, uh, we do have folks making probably an average of thirty or thirty cents or so an hour. That's not enough either, but it is uh, it is a better than the very low bar that we have in uh, the Milwaukee County facilities. Your uh, your point about cleaning the cell a month ahead of time, Ryan, that that reminds me of how U.S. colleges will have their example dorm room that they take <laughs> when all the kids are going around, and it's it's decked out like the nicest dorm room you'll ever see. Oh, come to our school! Look how beautiful it is. Every child gets to live through this. And then the first right. day you walk on campus, it's half that size. It has none of the amenities they offer. It's right, right, right. creating the perception of a better situation. So that people who are the decision makers behind this 
can't have accurate information to make these decisions accordingly. And it's, it's grotesque, frankly. Um, but it's, yeah. it's really nice to see one of our reps being able to, or being willing to put the time and effort into going in and hearing from the people who are actually dealing with these situations rather than the people who control the situations. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's, it's unfortunately a really low bar, right? Like we shouldn't have to write state legislation saying that somebody who has oversight over a jail or a prison is able to go in there and view the conditions. Right. But like that, it's literally one of them. One of them is just, you know, when you, when you have a reason to be there, uh, a, a place has to let you in. Uh, and that's it. Uh, and, and, you know, and that we should have the ability to see what's going on in these institutions. Um, uh, sooner than that. And it's not like we're asking for, you know, hot tubs and caviar. We're asking for conditions in which people don't die. And this is uh, this is literally a matter of life and death. We've had yeah, a 14 month period at Milwaukee County where we had six deaths in custody. Uh, and, and many of those deaths are preventable. Uh, every death by suicide by somebody who is in our custody is preventable. And it is horrific that the uh milwaukee county sheriff's office continues to make excuses and every time it comes up uh, just says give us more money the answer is more money once we have more money everything will be fine and that's been what they've been saying now for you know for decades is uh give us more money this will be the time when people stop dying in custody this will be the time when we finally start being stop being inhumane uh and uh money without accountability is is clearly not helping the irony of that, of course, is that we're very well aware that increasing police spending does not reduce crime in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you look at, you know, the recidivism rate in, in Wisconsin, for example, according to Lawrence, roughly 40 percent of all individuals released from prison will uh, recidivate within three years. Compare that to some Nordic countries who do offer, you know, famously some of the best conditions in the world because this is supposed to be about rehabilitation, not revenge. The recidivism rate in Norway, 20 to 24 percent. The United right, right, States right. as a whole, 70 They, right. You know, these individuals claim they want to reduce crime yep. while simultaneously essentially creating career criminals because we don't have other opportunities for these people to A – learn the skills necessary to participate in society. And then B, we release them into society with no help or assistance and just say, okay, go ahead. Good luck. Best of, you know, best wishes. Absolutely. And, and like these pieces of legislation are based in data and you're totally right. Every time we are unnecessarily cruel to somebody while we lock them up, they're more likely to be locked up in the future. They're more likely to commit crimes. And the data is crystal clear on that. Everything from calling to, you know, access to, uh, uh, you know, basic necessities like food. Um, when we take away somebody's dignity and then we sever them from their community and their loved ones, it is not a surprise that they are more likely to be incarcerated again in the future. And yet the, the same people blocking these pieces of legislation are the same ones saying oh, the streets are so, you know, uh, ridden with crime. Uh, they, not, they don't say these streets. They say Milwaukee specifically yeah. because they yeah. love their dog yes. whistles, right? Um, and, they, and they point to us as this huge center of crime, and yet they, they actively block legislation like this, which is crime reduction legislation. It doesn't, you can essentially take one of two strategies to reducing crime. One is like investing in community. Uh, and to some extent, you know, uh, yeah, 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 right, right. Um, you know, and there's harm reduction, or we can continue to try locking people up 
uh, like we do in a really shameful, horrific way. Like right now, Wisconsin locks up one out of 36 of our black residents. That is the highest rate in the country. That is incredibly shameful. And yet every month at the state here, we see more legislation coming across our desks, increasing criminal penalties. Uh, and yet these things can't even get a hearing. And it is it is maddening to me because we know that these would reduce crime in a way that, yeah, massive uh, amounts of money thrown at the unaccountable police will never do. Um, and it's uh, it's frustrating. And hopefully we can get to a place soon where uh, we have the ability to to pass some of this. I like how how you mentioned, Ryan, because I think this is the the key. If you mistreat someone, you take away their dignity, you, uh, you know, dehumanize i don't know if that's a word but you dehumanize them it shouldn't be a surprise when these when these individuals kind of internalize that they're right i'm not a human i'm not worthy of of you know participating in proper society i'm an animal and i'm going to react as such and then they wonder why uh, people you know end up uh, back in the prison system because they have not been offered the assistance necessary because the system itself benefits from this uh, continuation of the status quo. And it's right. it's something that's, you know, you touched on it exactly as well. Do we want to put the time and effort into building resources in every community across the United States so that we have less people that have to resort to crime? Yes, that would be incredible. In a dream world, we will do that. But if we make that pitch, we're told we're radical. That's crazy. We can't afford right. that. Okay, well, here's something that we can afford. Here's something that would save us money, in fact, instead right. of continuing to throw millions and millions of dollars at unaccountable police forces. Right, right. No, absolutely. But yeah, and you're right. And it's the the system standing in the way of uh, of itself. I mean, it was absolutely maddening that at the, at the county level, uh, was it about a year and a half ago, I actually found a nonprofit that would donate free video calling for three years, right? Donate it. So in no cost to the county except for like, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for uh, uh, for, for the equipment rather than the, the many millions that, that we're paying every single year now. Uh, right. The sheriff's department came out swinging against it because it would have put a hole in their budget because despite it being free and despite, you know, Milwaukee County families paying $5 million a year for, for communications and despite all the evidence saying that when people have access to their family through calling and video calling, that they are less violent and, uh, you know, more well-behaved and that the, the COs actually doing this work uh, appreciate it too. Despite all of that, the sheriff's like, no, run us our money. <laughs> it, it, it is not okay for you to, uh, to accept this donation. And we didn't. And uh, I am thankful that this year we were able to get uh, it's 390 minutes of voice calling and 60 minutes of uh, video calling per month. Uh, that is not enough. And in fact, it's much more efficient just to make it free across the board. But we'll, you know, we'll take what we can get. And, and this is this is harm reduction. And I uh, I am often frustrated by incremental change. But I I do understand that, uh, you know, uh, on our way to, uh, you know, not having prisons exist in the in the first place. Uh, we, we there are some baby steps to get there and I'm, I'm proud of the the work that we've done but also frustrated with how long it took three and a half years to get to you know some free calling is uh, is frustrating and I and I, I hope that we have uh, people coming on to the board uh, starting in April that will you know pick up some of this work where it left off and then continue to push in other ways too well let's let's talk a little bit about the the policy details here and give give some people an idea of exactly what we're what we're talking about when it comes to improving the conditions um, of confinement. So I, I'm just going to, there's a list of 17 
we can just walk through them one by one and and talk about it as much or as little as as you think sure. is necessary. Some of these are have a, a few aspects to them. Some of them are pretty straightforward. So um, the first one is a constitutional amendment to ban slavery. Could you Wait, talk which a you would think. <laughs> Which you would think would be the lowest possible bar, right? Like, can we start by just saying that slavery is bad and getting rid of it? Uh, but this is actually not the first time this has been brought up. And I'm, I'm, I was yeah. going to mention the Thirteenth Amendment as well before, yeah, but right. uh, I was like, I'm going to let the I'm going to let the expert handle it. <laughs> no, and it's um, it's incredibly shameful to be living in a state which has legalized slavery. All this would do is um, uh, is ban slavery. Uh, because yeah, much like the Thirteenth uh, Amendment at the uh, at the federal level, uh, it is legal to uh, have people enslaved uh, if they are convicted of a crime, uh, and that's. I, I would hope that we could all agree generally that that is terrible. Uh, and it that it incentivizes corruption. Oh, hey, we yeah. got to go find ten free workers. What do we do? Let's let's go charge those right. ten people we just found with some crime and throw them in there. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. So I, yeah, I, it's ridiculous that this has to be on there but it has failed before right it, it has been brought up before hasn't gotten a uh a hearing had been passed and uh, and here it is again uh the next one uh would raise minimum wage to uh 233 an hour for people that are incarcerated that's something that i've I, I've, I've been working to repeal that 233 an hour sub minimum wage uh, which is what it's called uh for folks in the service industry for a, a long time much uh prior to me getting here. So this is a way to both uh, underline the fact that we have people who are not incarcerated working for 233 an hour plus tip, um, and uh, to point out that uh, the people that we incarcerate at the county level are making zero, uh, and at the yeah. state level are making probably an average of 30, you know, 30 something cents an hour. Yeah. Um, and that essentially when we do that to families, uh, we are not punishing the person who is incarcerated. Uh, we're not just punishing the person who is incarcerated more. The the costs for those things fall on their families. And I've talked to many households, yeah, that spend a thousand, two thousand dollars a month on you know putting money on a person's book so they can buy decent shampoo or like ramen noodles so they they can you know get enough calories uh to to survive um yeah and of course calling and video calling uh at the state thankfully most of the time we have visitation um uh, but there's still a need for communication because often people are incarcerated far from home and uh, it's not possible to get there. Uh, I say most of the time because right now we have many, many uh, institutions on lockdown. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the first thing they do is stop people from being able to receive uh, visitors. And that is uh, really detrimental. And again, when people are then, you know, kind of released into the general population, uh, there are more problems because people have been confined even within their state of confinement uh, unnecessarily. Would those all, so would this be allowing everybody incarcerated to have in-person visitation as well because i know that's something something that you talked yeah. about is that and a lot of people can't can't see people in person and again we were we were just talking about being able to be connected with your family being able to talk to them through that time increases the likelihood that you'll be able to leave jail without being be, uh returning yeah yeah no absolutely and, and that's you know it's something that i've uh, in my work at the county People who were far smarter than me corrected me uh, when I used to say in-person uh, visitation, because the only visitation is in-person, right? You have you have visitation, and then you have uh, calling and you have video calling. Uh, the the term of video visitation 
uh, was actually invented by the video calling industry. Uh, you know, kind of like like uh, like uh, clean coal or something like that, right? So where they're like, oh, it's just like this visitation. And and what happened, you know, the last couple of decades was that jails were like, oh, we can replace visitation with video calling. We could just call it like you know video visitation, and we can make millions of dollars. And and some have done that. Most institutions, thankfully, have gotten back away from that. And yet, uh, in Milwaukee County, we continue not to do that. So, um, yeah, this this is uh, this would allow everybody to have in-person visitation. And we could talk a little bit more uh, in some of these later items about uh, the conditions for for lockdowns too, which are being sure. abused right now. I know one thing I see on here is um, four bathing periods per week with running hot water. Which seems like a really low bar. What what have you heard right. from people regarding regarding uh, bathing periods? We've heard that especially in lockdown conditions, that people are not allowed to use uh, bathrooms, right? Like uh, outside of their their cell, um, uh, they take. Um, I guess the derogatory term for them is bird baths, uh, where they are encouraged to like take a washcloth in the sink, uh, in their uh, in their cells, and uh, just kind of scrub down the best they can. Um, but, you know, I mean, the, the idea of being able to wash yourself and have basic hygiene is, uh, is terrible. And I think one of the, you know, even if this thing never gets a hearing, the idea of being able to talk about this and saying, like, right now, if you are in our yeah. institution, and it's not so bad right now when, when it's cold, but in the summer, we often see conditions rising above 90 or 100 degrees to not be able to cool down in a shower you know, yeah. more than once yeah. a week, which is what we've heard from many people, uh, is is inhumane. Uh, even you know, like it is even is even more humane than than incarcerating somebody to have them in these conditions. And then this is one of the things that went through many revisions, right? At one point, we had to add, <laughs> and it sounds it sounds ridiculous, but we had to add in there that the 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 water had to be running and heated, because often it's trickling out of the you know out of the tap, and uh, sometimes it's just not not hot. Mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, it's incredibly frustrating to have to be wordsmithing our own things to um, account for all the inhumanity that we have in our institutions. But and they're, uh, they're but looking for a loophole their, if their they can find now. one. Yeah. Right. No. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I and I will say too, we've uh, some of the folks at at the DOC, the Department of Corrections, have, have been really responsive to this and. You know, sometimes you have different goals for legislation. Like ideally, all of these things would get hearings. Republicans would sign on. They would get passed. We don't live in a, in a space right now where that's going to happen. But one of the other goals for this that we, we started with from the beginning was putting together a large package of, of legislation and then going to the Department of Corrections, uh, which is under the control of, a, of, a, you know, of Democrats, uh, Tony Evers, um, and, and saying – it would be great if all of these passed, but these don't all need to be law right away. Some of these you can just change with policy. Yeah. Um, and they've been actually really responsive to uh, to a lot of these. This package was a little bit bigger, uh, and, and we were able to take some of the pieces off because the DOC basically showed us uh, good faith in wanting to work on this, showed us some receipts that, that there is work ongoing. And we were able to pare it down a little bit. So I, I've been really pleasantly surprised given my um, – butting heads sometimes with folks at the county, uh, mm -hmm. that, that folks at the state uh, who are under a much more accountable system than, you know, one elected sheriff who could say do whatever they want, uh, really right. being a lot more reasonable. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we've been able to make some change 
uh, alongside them uh, with this. That said, the conditions overall are terrible, and we need to we need to push more, and then make sure that to the extent that we can, that these become law, so that if we have a worse governor and therefore a worse administration in the future, that uh, we don't see progress on these things rolled back. Absolutely. All right. Well, next next on the list, could we talk about um, recreational opportunities and structured programming? I know last time we uh, you were on, we had talked a little bit about how, especially in these prisons where they have the long-term lockdown conditions, people are pretty much being confined to their cell most of the time, um, which one, isn't allowing them time doing anything else, but two, I think you know, it, it's it's missing an opportunity for, again, trying to really, truly be able to rehabilitate some of these people um, so that when they're when they're released, uh, they're prepared to reenter society. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this, you know, a, a lot of this came from, I mean, observations in general, but especially institutions like the uh, the MSDF, so the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility, uh, which is in downtown Milwaukee. Um, and... <laughs> It's just it's uh, it was difficult for me to even be in there because it looks so different on the outside than it does inside. We have a piece of legislation later on that actually talks about being able to see outside, uh, mm -hmm. which is, again, super low standard uh, in which was inspired by this. Um, but uh, MSDF is was built into this century. Right. So it this isn't one of the old like fortress castle looking things which should not exist entirely. MSDF was actually built in this century to be cruel. There is a column of air conditioning that is only for the staff that runs through the middle of the building. All the rest of it is intentionally not uh, not cooled or even heated sufficiently. Uh, and uh, it's set up on floors where there's no real mobility between the floors. So if your floor has um, a Bible study, and, and, you know, some of them do maybe once a week, uh, and you're Muslim, uh, you probably only have a Bible study. And in fact, we, we talked to one gentleman who's like, I will sign up for anything, for any programming, because my goal is to better myself and to do something while I'm in here so that I have more opportunities when I'm out. But there's mm -hmm. nothing for me to do. So, he, you know, he was a, a Muslim gentleman. He, he went to Bible study uh, with, with folks who were not Muslim just to give him something to do. But there was nothing for him in terms of employment or, you know, recreation or anything else. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the most popular pastime uh, for folks uh, in the MSDF, at least the folks that I talked to, was looking out the window uh, during uh, the, the couple hours a day when they were out of their cells. Um, and it's because you cannot see out of the building from your cells, despite the fact that that building is almost all windows. There's a yeah. separate building inside with, with almost opaque panels. They call them windows, but you can barely see if it's like night or dark outside. You can't see a cloud. You can't see the sky. You can't see birds. You can't see buildings. You are totally disoriented. And when I asked my how would you change this question, one of the people in – a couple of the people in MSDF said that they were on floor you know, X. Um, and that the couple hours a, a day or week that they're able to look out the window from the common room, and they kind of take turns doing that because they're crowded, uh, their view outside was blocked by some boxes that the staff had piled up in front of the window. And I was like, cruelty for the sake of and I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. So we went and looked at that. We demanded that they remove those, uh, and they did. But yeah, like, and I said, have you, like, surely you've let somebody know about this? And they said, yes. 
So it, it took them 20 seconds to move the damn boxes. And in doing so, they, I guess, improved the quality of life of folks in there. But we shouldn't have to have people beg to see the sky uh, in an institution like that. We shouldn't have to have people beg to, to have any sort of relevant programming and programming which is relevant to their interests, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not, you know, having to go to Bible study because that's the only thing that, that's offered. Uh, and it was, yeah, I mean, we got the normal answers there. Like, you know, the food is terrible. I want to see my family. Like, let me out of this building. I, I will go to a maximum security prison as long as it's not MSDF. Just get me out of here. But, but hearing, I just want basic programming. I want anything to do. Uh, I want books that I haven't read because the library here is, you know, inaccessible and tiny. And I want to see the sky is uh, that it almost broke me. I mean, the, the idea that people are begging for, yeah, just literally to, to, to look out of a window every week uh, is is really gross, and we, we got to do better. Absolutely. Um, and then speaking of that, the next one on the list is solitary confinement conditions. Um, you know, what what does that look like right now when you're when you're in solitary confinement in a, in a Wisconsin jail or prison? Do you get to leave here? Are you allowed to leave your cell? Are you allowed to have things with you? Um, you know, do you do you get to see the sky? I guess um, right, right, right. at all. What, what are those conditions like? Yeah, I mean, and one of the problems that we find in a lot of of institutions is that they're really inconsistent, right? So, I mean, what what one institution does, another one totally does differently. Uh, so, some places, uh, you know, when when they put somebody in solitary confinement. I'm trying to remember the institutional name for it. They don't call it lockdown. They don't call it solitary confinement. They call it uh, like modified movements and they call it <laughs> something isolation or like, you know, a kind, fun, happy time, but you don't have access yeah. to anything. I, I forget the, the thing, but, but we use solitary confinement because that's what people know it as and it's more accurate. Right. Um, so yeah, right now, many people, when they're put in solitary, uh, they might have access to a Bible, but maybe not. Um, and there are exceptions for religious texts that there aren't for other ones. Um, they might have access to uh, writing implements, but they generally do not. And generally, you're in a room without windows by yourself. Uh, and the, you know, I, I did a, a deep, a relatively deep dive into this. I'm looking into state law and state law says that you can only put somebody in solitary for 10 days, uh, which is 10 days, I got to say, is an incredibly long time when you don't have human contact. Like that is terrible for somebody's mental health. You are nearly guaranteeing that they're going to be far worse when they come out than they were when they went in. And they yeah. conceivably went in because of some problem that they had. Uh, we're leaving that unaddressed. We're just putting them in, in isolation. That's really bad by itself. 10 days is an incredibly long time to be in, in isolation. And yet we know that people are often in there for far more than 10 days because you can put somebody in solitary for 10 days and then you can put them in what's called administrative confinement for basically an indefinite period of time. And we see many people who were in solitary for months. Um, and all we're asking for with this piece of legislation is that uh, they have some structured programming and that can look like you know access to a tablet, um, but then also it, it includes actual human contact so that you know that yeah. the case manager or, or people from within the institution are going there and having a conversation, just letting them know that they are present and that they are not totally mm -hmm. forgotten about. Um, you know, and then, you know, we're asking that they, uh, that they get, you know, toothpaste, toothbrush, shampoo, deodorant, those basic things that make people feel human 
uh, because often we've heard that it takes days to get those to them. Uh, and when there is literally nothing else to do, that is incredibly cruel. Uh, this would also give them access to a, uh, a book so that they have something to do in there, you know, as, as quickly as they can. Um, again, the, the practice of solitary is inhumane and terrible, but a lot of this is really harm reduction. It's uh, right. trying within the system to make it less bad. Ultimately, the, uh, the goal here is to incarcerate fewer people. Um, but I think we have the responsibility uh, while we are continuing to incarcerate people en masse to make it somewhat better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we talked – going down this list now, we talked a little bit already about um, video calls and climate control and ability to see outside. I guess the one, the one other thing that I noticed that I just wanted to highlight is under uh, – including the ability to see outside, you guys also talk about the access to the outdoors – um, which has an exemption in it for the MSDF. Um, is, is there a particular reason that you, that you, um, were more lenient with them with one, giving them more time to comply and two, there's not a requirement, um, until somebody has been in MSDF for three months for them to spend time outside. Do you want to talk a little bit about why? Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting. And, uh, yeah, we're actually less lenient. The, the goal of this legislation, to be brutally honest here, is to shut down MSDF. Nobody should yeah. ever be in there. That said, the MSDF was built initially to be a short-term facility. It was supposed mm -hmm. to be, uh, you know, if somebody uh, was was revoked, you know, a paper revocation, if they had been out on parole, uh, that they would, would be in there for generally about, you know, 30 or 60 days, but no more than 90 days. That's why there's no mobility between floors. That's why that institution does not have the ability to bring people outside. Um, the problem is that, well, first that it exists. The problem is is really that um, people are not being kept in there for only nine, 90 days. They're being kept in there for over a year, many times, I mean, uh, normally. And that, you know, keeping somebody inside for 90 days without access to the sky or programming is bad. Keeping somebody in there for over a year is absolutely inhumane. So the way this is written is, you know, you can keep somebody in an institution for 90 days, but after that point, you can't. So the goal is not to have people put in there in any sort of long-term way. Um, essentially, we want to make that uh, institution unusable. So if you have an institution that right now is taking people for over a year, and the, the requirement here is to uh, make sure that nobody's in there for more than three months, uh, it's very likely that that institution will not be utilized or utilized much at all. Uh, kind of bring it closer to its original um, mm -hmm. intent. Uh, its original intent was terrible. Was terrible. Like the the idea of using architecture to inflict uh, cruelty on people is messed up. Uh, so in an ideal world, well, we wouldn't have prisons. In a in a less ideal world, we wouldn't have MSDF. It would be closed. Then we'd also be clo closing down the places like Green Bay and Wapan. Uh, one of the the, uh, the the climate control pieces here uh, says yeah. that uh, you have to provide air conditioning, right? That it is inhumane that we have people living in 90 or 100 degree conditions, uh, and especially Keep sleeping. Wrong, in that. But that was you talked about people that uh, passed away uh, in in while confined. That was the cause of some of this. Correct? Was extremely high temperature. It, it, it seems to be, and it, it's often tough to sort out, how, you know, why a person actually uh, died. I mean, we, you know, we sometimes have the coroner's report, sometimes we have, you know, uh, testimony, but um, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it seems like that's at least a contributing cause to many of these things. And uh, um, 
when we we heard some pushback on the numbers, like, oh, my God, it'd be incredibly expensive to add air conditioning to some of these institutions because they were built so long ago. You look at Waban, you look at Green Bay, they literally look like fortresses. They're like castles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and our response is like, yeah, maybe That's we shouldn't have people in those, in those things. Make. <laughs> we could just not have them exist, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, – then we talk about what to do next. My goal would be just not to incarcerate as many people as we do, uh, you know, but a, a uh, far second would be, uh, you know, having, having institutions that are not as bad. Um, but that, the first fight essentially is to, to shut down the institutions that are worse. Um, yeah, it is incredibly expensive to put AC into a castle. Um, so just not, uh, <laughs> Not incarcerating people in these uh, in these castles would would really be a good a good first step. Cut the middleman uh, and don't utilize the castle. Then I know, I know, it's great, right, right, and it's and yet it's weird too because there, there's all this this institutional um, baggage around uh, some of these places like Wapan. The town supports the the prison, right? Like Wapan, so many jobs are there yeah. just based on that. And it is, yeah. you know, it is yeah. going to be a, a hard slog to close individual places, but we have, we have the responsibility to do it because, you know, it's, uh, it's impossible to be in that institution and walk out thinking that it is okay to have people in those conditions. So, so yeah, some of these are written, it's a long way of saying some of these are written in a way that we know that it would be incredibly expensive and onerous to do, to, to make some of these things more humane. And I think the, the, the best answer to that is let's not put people in those places. Yeah. All right. Well, finally, do you just want to give a, a brief overview of some of the things that are in these five bills in the oversight, transparency and reporting section kind of what motivates that you know we talked a little about, bit about part of this is um access to prisons and jails for oversight purposes for legislators so that again you guys are getting an honest portrayal of what is there so you know how to shape policy to improve the institutions but do you just want to talk a little bit about there's so there's a con there's a constitutional amendment in here as well to give uh counties authority to oversee jails uh, you want to just talk a little bit about the the motivation for some of these new transparency measures? Yeah, for sure. And you know, I, it's it's often frustrating. Uh, you know, at the county, I, I would get calls all the time, seeing, you know, from reporters, or whatever, saying, "How many people do we have locked up right now?" And I would say, "This is a process. Let me get a hold of like three different institutions and get numbers for you. I'll have that for you in about a week." And it'd be like, "You've got to be kidding." So we, we need dashboards both at the local level and at the state level telling us how many you know people we have incarcerated mm -hmm. generally, but also you know how many folks are in institutions that are on lockdowns, and then how many people within institutions are, are, are in solitary confinement. And all of this is anonymized. So like you know John Smith, yeah. we're not going to be able to tell if he's in uh, you know in one of those conditions, but that helps us as legislators know what the heck is going on, as does a public dashboard talking about complaint data. So if, you know, Waupun or Green Bay or any institution is having a spike in complaints and they're about a specific thing, I want to know that immediately, right? So, so we give them 72 hours to put those things up there. Uh, that is something that would be incredibly valuable because we get individual letters and, and calls and all that all the time from folks who are incarcerated and their, and their advocates saying, hey, this is a problem here. Um, but, but having raw data to say, 
this isn't just you. You know, there's 87 other people who complained about this same thing in the last month. That's right. really, really good data that we can use. And that helps us legislate better and, and figure out where to put our, our efforts towards solving these problems. And then also to to uh, make sure that we can get in there in a, in a timely way, which is yeah, what the access to, to prisons and jails for purposes of oversight is. We can know what the problem is kind of vaguely, but then not be able to see it. Uh, this would allow us access to uh, to places. Uh, I, I think within it's within six or twelve hours, uh, as long as it's you know in normal uh, uh, yeah. normal working uh, working hours. And then yeah, and then going in there and seeing that. Um, one of the ones that is I think most unfortunate uh, but very necessary would be a constitutional amendment uh, to allow counties to take over their jails. Um, so what we look, what we see nationally is that, um, I, I would say outcomes. I'm going to be really honest and say the number of deaths uh, in, in in jails run by uh, sheriffs is far, far, far higher than the number of deaths by jails run by counties themselves. Um, and you know the difference between what used to be the House of Correction and is now the CRC in Milwaukee and the jail is that the county board sets policy for the for the CRC. And one person, the sheriff, sets policy for the jail. We've had, yeah, uh, six deaths in 14 months in the jail. We've had one death in the last decade and a half in the CRC. And the understaffing is similar, right? The, uh, but the, just about everything else is different. The policies are set by the sheriff uh, rather than you know a, a, a whole board of people. And they're much more cruel. There is visitation right now at the CRC. There is no visitation at the jail. Uh, you know, the amount of programming and, and really just the, the culture in both of those institutions is very, very different. Um, and you can tell at the moment that you step in um, and you can tell in the level of access. Right. I can go to the CRC and sit down and eat lunch with people in our care tomorrow. Um, I can't even get into a cell <laughs> in the uh, in the jail. Um, and I think it's that level of, of you know, transparency or lack thereof uh, that that really underlines the idea that. A county could basically, with a majority vote, say, you know what, we think we're going to do a better job at this. You know, no, uh, no hard feelings, or maybe there are some hard feelings about uh, <laughs> the amount of, of, of deaths that have happened in that institution. But, but we can do that better because we know that we're more accountable. Um, it doesn't force any county to do that, but it, it provides that option. And then the the last piece of legislation is publishing these rights uh, so that, that people, you know, when they're first incarcerated, if they're ever transferred uh, or if these ever change, you know, giving somebody a really clear, plain language document saying these are your rights while you're incarcerated here, uh, yeah. both to adults and to, to, to kids. And then making sure that, that that folks are available to explain those rights to people. Um, and what that actually looks like on the ground, not just yeah. saying like you have the right to communicate generally with people, but saying you have the right to, you know, 390 minutes of voice you know, calls and, and 60 minutes of, of video calls. Uh, and you have the right to uh, uh, to actually visit your your you know friends and family. And this is what that looks like, uh, because often uh, those details get lost in the shuffle. I guess. So uh, a question after going through that long list is obviously the legislatures controlled by Republicans that have no problem uh, with keeping people in facilities that are, you know, inhumane, that have inedible food, that have, that are infested with cockroaches and, and rats and, and the like. Um, is there any of this that you think actually has a chance of being enacted in policy? And I guess the second part of that question is, 
if not, you had talked about kind of some some good faith interactions with the at uh, with the DOC at the state level. In kind of even if these aren't legal requirements, we're going to start to change our practices. Um, what are some of the specifics of things that you've kind of seen them be willing to to negotiate or discuss in good faith? Yeah, I mean, you know, the and a, a lot of these things in here, they're making some steps towards. A, a lot of it, frankly, is is money. Um, in, in, you know, like uh, putting AC uh, into units, that's not something that they can just fix, you know, with a, a snap of their fingers. But yeah, there are, uh, I think many of the bills that, that we didn't put in this package that we had drafted and had ready to go in terms of, uh, you know, access to, you know, tablets for media and things like that. Those are already being worked on. And a lot of that, a lot of it comes down to the to the really important details. Um, but really, uh, I what we heard from the uh, uh from the chair of the corrections committee here at the state after we released this and after we had tried over and over again to get a meeting with him before we released these was <laughs> he should have come to me you know these uh, these authors should have uh, sat down with me and collaborated and this is just you know forced on us and you know yeah we had we had set up appointments and had his office uh then turn them down i think at least two or, or three times prior to this this package release um that said the the, the chair of the corrections committee uh rep Shra, is a really reasonable person and he has done enough prison visits to know that these are problems uh and i would i would appeal to him he believes when when you tell yeah. him this is what i'm hearing and seeing yeah no no absolutely and yeah, and, you know, I, I think sometimes we have different frames. Um, yeah, unlike you know uh, whether we should have mass incarceration or things in general. But he, he strikes me as a reasonable person. Um, ultimately, at the state right now, uh, chairs you know can advocate for it. I think he could get us hearings on some of these. Um, but a lot of it comes down to Robin Voss. Uh, you know, he, he really pulls the strings, and uh, you know, uh, essentially, if he sees a political reason to pass something it'll probably get a hearing uh if he doesn't it's uh it's really unlikely but i think you know even just being able to have these conversations and having folks across wisconsin know what the conditions are like in our institutions is a good first step um i'm, I'm glad that we can give voice to a lot of the folks who have been incarcerated and their advocates uh but it's a really small first step we, we need substantial change here uh, because the stakes are so high, and I think it's uh, yeah, it, it does come down at some points to people within the DOC. Uh, it does come down to our county sheriffs. Our sheriffs have a ton of autonomy. Our our county sheriff in Milwaukee could wake up tomorrow and implement nearly all of these overnight, uh, and yet they don't. I I think it's really interesting, Ryan, and it, it's a microcosm I think of <laughs> the way that policing is approached in the United States as a whole, that the department or the uh, facility under the sheriff's control is not just more dangerous for uh, individuals, but like statistically significant, like a large, large amount of deaths in this facility in a very short amount of time compared to facilities under the county's control uh, that, what did you say, one in 10 years or something? Like the way that police approach their job in the United States is, you know, we are the enforcer of, of our own will. Um, it's a conversation that, uh, you know, you've had on social media before with, uh, I've mentioned that your, your account is one of the best followers that there is, but seeing some of the way that these uh, frequently anonymous accounts respond to you, it's very clear that there is a subset of the population who genuinely believe 
that you need to like beat the humanity out of people and that will make them wake up and all of a sudden they're going to change overnight when we know the data shows not just in the united states but in the world that this does not work and it it's frankly heartbreaking to see opportunities like this uh continuously passed over when a lot of these same americans will recognize that we need to do something about the crime problem that they talk about. And when proposed solutions hit them square in the face, they just don't care because it doesn't already fit their worldview. Um, You know, that would be another two hour conversation if we were to dive into the (laughs) psyche of the American police and how uh, this kind of represents what we see them doing at the national level as well. But uh, I'm glad that you've taken the time to, you know, dig up this information because I think if more people were aware of the reality of these situations, rather than what they're going to see on the news or hear on, on their, from their friends on social media who are also equally not as informed, uh, we'd be able to finally bring some tangible change to these situations. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and those, those conversations always strike me. And, and it's often the same conversation or, or versions of it over and over, right? You have somebody on there saying, everything's dangerous. We need to lock everybody up and we, and we need to be mean to them when they are in there. And, you know, and then you provide all this data saying, actually, it's it's literally just the opposite. If we are mean to people when we incarcerate them, crime will go up. So at some point, you have to choose between these abstract feelings of vengeance or reducing crime because you can't have both. Uh, and we certainly can't fund uh, everything that we want when we are throwing so much money at the carceral system. Absolutely. Well, I know you have another commitment, Ryan, so we'll let you go. But thank you so much for... One, your, your fantastic advocacy on these issues that, you know, a lot of times neither party really wants to discuss. And really, at the end of the day, having these discussions is, is really important to making people more aware of some of these inhumane conditions. So we appreciate you taking the time. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much, both of you. Appreciate you. So we say we always say the Black Panther Party, the biggest